Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Skinny with Rico and Ken is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Ricky Johnson, and this is The Skinny. From the Fatheads Eyewear Studios in Speedway, Indiana, this is The Skinny. Brought to you by Toyota, Rhino Classifieds, General Tire, and Dream Giveaway. This segment of The Skinny is brought to you by Toyota. I'm excited about today's show. We have a friend of mine that will be on here who's been a friend for some 15 years, Michael Young, sitting here alongside. I've only been your friend for a couple of weeks. That's well, and that's a good point. So I'm not referring to you okay. in any way, shape, or form. Okay. I'm not even sure we are friends Correct. yet. Not, not yet. <laughs> Getting there. We're working on Working on We're it. working on the relationship. Right. <laughs> Michael Young sitting alongside. Great to have him back with me, of course. And uh, our guest is uh, a couple <coughs> thousand miles away out in California, Southern California. I'd like to welcome... Uh, the original bad boy to the show. His name is Ricky Johnson, affectionately known as RJ. Ricky, great to have you on, my friend. When we were in the booth together for many, many years. I've watched you race for many, many years. Of course, uh, Hall of Famer here as well, and uh, seven, seven Supercross, Motocross championships, and the nation wins. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. We could talk about the accolades of your career forever, for sure. And uh, and we'll certainly touch on some of that stuff. But great for you to find the time and join us here on the show, man. Thank you. No, no, I, I'm I'm blessed and honored to be on the skinny. You know, I, I went back and did some homework and looking at all the legends that you guys have. And it's pretty cool that you're scraping down towards the bottom of the barrel since <laughs> you get some of us. We're running low, man. Kind of retired motocross guys, uh, racing desert, doing this, doing that. But no, uh, in all seriousness, no, I, I'm on, I'm blessed to be here and honored. Um, I love what you guys are doing, and I love the the way the way it's coming out, the way the guys are talking. You know, it's obviously great when you can have guys like Tony Stewart, and uh, and the list goes on and on and on between F1 form. Uh, IndyCar guys and NASCAR guys and stuff. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, man, our pleasure for sure. Um, 
Talk to me about Ricky Johnson and what go, what's going on in Ricky Johnson's world. I, I saw you a little bit earlier in the year. I hadn't seen you for a long time. And then we were in Nashville together uh, in Stadium Super Trucks, which it was great to see you and Steph, your wife, once again. And uh, uh, I know one thing is for sure, though, there's never any grass growing under your feet. You're constantly busy, always developing something and working on something. And uh, I believe the latest announcement I saw was you're going to be back in, in a desert truck. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be getting ready to head down. I'm racing for Gus in, in Tavoville, Dosla. Uh, they, they recently purchased a new Mason all-wheel drive, 1,000 horsepower, normally aspirated. It's, it's the truck of trucks. Um, Bryce Menzies racing one, uh, Andy McMillan, the McMillan family, uh, Luke and Dan, um, Jesse Jones, all the, all the top guys have them. And so uh, when Gus got that, he originally signed me up as uh, a legend. Uh, there's a 50 plus class for trophy trucks and they call that trophy trucks legends, which Rob McCarricker makes the joke is that if he only knew that he had to turn 50 to become a legend, he wouldn't have worked so hard. But um, <laughs> anyhow, so this year uh, they have one truck and the three of us are contesting the ball 1000. Um, we ran off uh, seventh is the first time I can after a while. I uh, feel good. I'm still not quite there yet. When I saw you in Nashville, you know, Bola messages from, uh brought me down and um we had an incident on the track um that was after that uh your son just completely destroyed and took me out um just kidding ken um just so that you guys know you are you're sitting next to one of the most angry mini bike fathers there is because i text him saying jokingly your son took me out yesterday what the f and he goes whoa and then so he comes at me full bore but you know, we joked about that. Your son, Robert, um, got to say, man, what a stud and racer that he is, you know, and he's, he's made his own path between working at Bondurant, working at Thermal, racing cars and stuff. And, and he, he crushed everybody that day. Um, we joked about it. I, I started the spin. He, he finished it. I would have done the same thing. I probably would have hit, hit me harder, but, um, anyhow, so racing trucks, still doing, teaching military, still training people. Um, on motorcycles with adventure bikes and, and dual sport and then also still training quite a few of the trophy truck racers because there's a lot of little secrets that people don't know and and there's a lot of things that people are doing in the truck that they don't even know that they do so i've kind of gone through and picked out what i like for the different stuff whether it be carl renazetter uh kyle LaDuke, bryce menzies um scott taylor with the list goes on and on to to try to be a better driver and a better coach I, I held up here for a second because I didn't. I wanted to let Michael jump in uh, if he if he wanted to. I want to touch on that because <clears throat> Ricky. I mean, of all my years of broadcasting and and watching racing and and probably the most intently in short course off road, Ricky's one of the smoothest drivers I, I've ever witnessed. I said that about Matty Bravel the other day, and and I truly believe that about that young talented kid. But but the first one or or one of the first drivers that I've saw where I could actually visually see a difference between him and everybody else was Ricky and so smooth that almost all the time, it seems as though he's going slow. Like he's seen, it seems like you're going slower than everybody else, but there's never a wasted move and you constantly pick your way to the front. And I'll follow that up by saying he's also one of the most brilliant coaches. One of the most brilliant teachers has the patience to work with young, talented drivers and, uh, and has a, a very unique way of bringing his talents forward and explaining how to go about using them. So I, I think you are truly in a lane of your own. And, I mean, listen, man, we're friends for 15 years, and we love to bust each other's balls. So, you know, I wouldn't blow the smoke if, <laughs> if I didn't think it was true. But 
Um, I, I absolutely believe you're, you're in a lane of your own when it comes to your unique ability to not only be smooth and go fast, but then to put it into words and help other people behind you that are coming up through the ranks. Well, thanks, man, because really there's you can only be the alpha male in racing for so long. I, I'm still, I still feel like I'm in decent shape for 57 years old. Um, I'm not falling out of the seat. I, I, got, a, I got a pretty good regimen to where I'm, I'm in great truck driving shape. I'm in terrible motocross racing shape just because my body doesn't work that way anymore. Um, but I, what I truly enjoy is taking somebody and helping them be better. So my, my, my thought is I'm not better than you, but it doesn't matter what level you are, I feel that I can make you a better driver. Whether it be, are you getting enough rest during the week? Are you training the right way? Are you doing big, long cardio sessions when you should be doing intervals? Whatever whatever it might be, because I've tried everything. I've tried everything from fasting to full meat diets to cycling mega miles to jujitsu to uh, uh, breath coaches and all kinds of stuff. So if I can take one or two things from each thing and then deliver that to the next guy, um, then it I, I, I truly enjoy it because teaching is not for everybody. Teaching is very frustrating because people immediately, especially with racing, they want to come out with their ego and they want, they want to, I'm better than you. Well, you are faster than me, but you might be a little more consistent or whatever it might be. So my, my lane, as you said right now, is not to say I'm better than you, but I want to make you better. Ricky, uh, Ken had said you've basically done it all, but going from a rider on two wheels to a driver, the transition, was it as difficult as you potentially anticipated it to be? What was that transition like? And then going from off-roading to stock car racing, was was it a gradual transition? What was the most difficult part for you? The most difficult part for me, and I think that you can talk to Juan Montoya or Ricky Carmichael, Ricky Carmichael Motocross, and Juan Montoya came from F1 and then IndyCar and stuff like that, is that in NASCAR, in stock car racing, you have to learn the art of the roll, how to flow through the flow through and not upset the chassis forward and back and do all that. Where when you're racing, even though you have to be smooth, you still, when you're road racing, you have to outbreak the next guy. They say Lewis Hamilton is so much better than, than a lot of the other guys because he outbreaks them. Um, when it comes to motocross, that's where you do all your passing, passing coming into the corner and setting them up and stuff like that. So now go from a thing where you're pushing your braking as hard as you can into the corner to where you have to learn to roll. And I really didn't learn the roll until I was four years out of NASCAR. If I was going to train somebody right now, uh, like Haley Deegan is doing phenomenal, I would take her to a track with no guardrails. They have a couple in Wisconsin because Jimmy Johnson, I went there. And I would take the brakes off her car and I would make her, I would read her lap times and have her learn how to roll off the gas, roll through the corner and go as fast as she can momentum style, because that's different than off-road and breaking hard and planting the nose and doing all the different stuff. So for me, it took a little bit of time to figure out the boundaries of the car and, and where the wheels were compared to a motocross bike, because you have a, a lane this big, but that wasn't the hard part. It was learning how to be smooth and roll and not be a hammer. Hang on to those thoughts there, Ricky Johnson. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back with a lot more from the original bad boy. 
Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because as it turns out... F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pot? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast, you find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This segment of The Skinny is brought to you by Dream Giveaway. Dream Giveaway has been giving away high-end American muscle cars to raise money for charity since 2007. Dream Giveaway is known for giving away classic and new muscle and paying the federal taxes so the winners don't have to. For $25, you can jump in the game, and part of that goes to charity. You'll have a chance at winning some of the coolest cars on the planet. Check it out at dreamgiveaway.com. Once again, welcome back to the Skinny Ken Stout, Michael Young, and good friend Ricky Johnson uh, out in California has joined us remotely. And uh, Ricky, I, I said it when we were cutting to break the last time around, the original bad boy. And, 
you really were. I mean, you came up with a logo. There was a bumper sticker. Uh, that whole thing spawned off. What, did what, did you make a little bit of money out of that gig back in the day? No, didn't make a cent, actually. <laughs> uh, but Mark and Brian Simo and Beaver Theodosakis did. Actually, I didn't come up with a logo. Um, I met the guys in 1984 when they had a company called Life's a Beach, and they were selling shorts out of the back of a pickup truck. There were three guys from Chicago. Mark and Brian Simo and Beaver Thidiasakis, um, a.k.a. Jeff. Um, and we became friends right off the bat, and then they moved to California. So three guys from Chicago started a surf line company, and then they had a motocross guy as one of their main spokesmen. And they went on to sell millions and millions of dollars worth of T-shirts and shorts. And then they came up with uh, – one of the artists came up with the, the bad boy uh, – and that was right when I was doing the, the spiked hair and the flat tops and stuff like that. So a lot of people assumed that I was the bad boy. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't even the inspiration for it. But I took the, I took the image because not, not like bad, like getting in trouble, going to jail and robbing people and stuff like that. But bad being a, a tough son of a bitch that's going to fight you tooth and nail all the way to the checkered flag. And, and that, was, that was the bad boy image that I wanted to portray, not, not a hoodlum. Now, I'll ask you this, because I think it took me until 1994, maybe, Ricky. When did you lose the said mullet and or spiked hair? I kept the mullet till like, 94. <laughs> yeah, I actually I actually dropped it in 1988. I went to a, I went to a straight flat top, no, no party in the back. Um, because, for one, I just got I, – I had so much hairspray – and Aquanet, Super Hold, the pink stuff to make sure the stuff stayed up high at the club. And The helmet like, had to be awesome. The inside of that helmet must have been smoking cool. <laughs> exactly. A little bit, little bit crusty in there. So it was, it was a thing. It was more fun. I, I wanted to go more function than fashion. So the short haircut worked, worked for me. Hey, man, let's, um, <clears throat> let's talk about a couple of things here. Three years old, dad gets you a, a mini bike. You kick it off when you're 16 years old. You get your pro license, and four years later, you're a 250 national champion. You remember those days? You remember that transition? I remember all of it. I can remember riding the mini bike up and down the street. Um, there's my wife in the background, Steph. Say hi, Beautiful Steph. Beautiful, Steph. Hey, Steph. Good morning. Hi, okay. Steph. I love seeing, I love <laughs> seeing her first thing. When I see her first thing in the morning, right. I know it's been a good day. <laughs> It's been a good day. We've been at Denny's late last night. Um, no, I remember. I remember when my dad, um, my dad got me the mini bike. I remember, even though I was three years old, there are certain moments that you know, you, your life is like a picture out picture book album, and there's certain things that that changed your life. And I remember sitting on that mini bike, and my dad wasn't a big, oh, we get it for, for Christmas or birthdays or whatever. If it if it sparked him, he did it. So he bought the mini bike, brought it home. Obviously, there were some words with my mom and that, but uh, started it up and I rode up and down the street, then started racing mini bikes, and then it was then it was our thing. It was every weekend. We would there was nothing else we did. I, I didn't I quit playing baseball. I didn't play football, soccer, any other uh, school sports. I just would I would race on Wednesday night, Saturday and Sunday, and so um it was it was a full-on full-on deal and i turned pro when i was 13 in southern california because for one um i didn't want to do deal with the the mini bike fathers and all the arguing my dad got in a couple fist fights um because i'm racing rough with the kids and and they're they're mad at me and then they come at me and then my dad takes care of business and 
And so I wanted to just go race. And so a friend of mine, Brock Glover, who got a factory Yamaha ride, let me ride his 125 when I was 12. And I'm like, I had so much fun. I'm like, can we start doing this? So within three months, I turned pro. Then we couldn't race national pro till we were 16. So won the Southern California Championships and then went went on to uh, – went on to start chasing down the national championships and was, was fortunate. I was with Yamaha until 19 through 1985, got on Honda. I won one championship with Yamaha in 1984 with my mechanic was Cliff Lett, who was, uh, helped me through, through many, you know, make the transition to bigger bikes. And then in 1986, I, I was at the right team, the right mechanic, the right bike, the right everything. And we got two championships per year. So 86 was, Supercross and 250, second in the 500 outdoor. Um, motocross the Nations, Tokyo Supercross, Japan Supercross. I mean, just had the most stellar year of my life. And then David Bailey gets paralyzed at the opening round, uh, not opening round, but a, a warm-up race in, in 87. And he was my teammate, which was the smoothest rider, probably the best rider, one of the best riders of all time. And he got paralyzed. And so um, that year I lost the Supercross championship to Jeff Ward and got second and then got well, won the two five hundred and two fifty outdoor won the nations again and so that went on through 1988 and then in 1989 i had a big injury and and it all came to a screeching halt but uh zero regrets how was uh what was that moment like when five-time world champ roger DeCoster comes over and says hey man we'd like to take you away from yamaha and and put you on honda i mean here you are you're a kid and you're all you already have manufacturers coming at you big decisions yeah it was but so so here's what happened is kawasaki had been uh hounding me all year long in 1985 and yamaha made some decisions that i didn't like i loved everybody at yamaha it's like it was like a family i was there since i was 12 years old and i didn't want to leave but the upper management and the different stuff, they weren't giving me the equipment that I needed and they weren't putting in the work as hard as, as I felt that Brock Lover and myself were. And so I want to make a switch. Well, in, in 85, Kawasaki brought their works bike down. They let me try it. We we're going to sign, do all the different stuff. Ronnie Lachine has a situation in Japan. He gets fired from Honda. Ronnie was two years younger than me. So they went with the younger rider. And so I was all set to go sign with Kawasaki. Uh, no one knew this. Uh, except Kawasaki. Kawasaki manager, team uh, team manager, Roy Turner calls me, says, we signed Ronnie. I said, I already heard because we lived in the same neighborhood. So everybody knows everything um, down in El Cajon, California. And so I was, I go, well, I guess I'm just going to sign with Yamaha. So it's a Tuesday. I was supposed to go sign with Yamaha on a Wednesday. Roger DeCoster calls and says, hey, would you consider riding for us? And I said, if I can try the bike, yes. So he said, when? I said, tomorrow. So, so I called Yamaha, said I can't make it up to sign. I went up, tested the bike, and it was, it was unbelievable. I, I didn't get to race that works bike. That was the super bitchy one with the, the low tank and carbon fiber. It was just a, it was the most unbelievable bike I think ever built. Um, but it wasn't just the bike that did it. It was the effort of Dave Arnold, the team manager, Roger DeCoster, who was kind of looking over everything, um, the Showa guys, the, the motor guys, everything. Honda had the attitude that we'll give you everything that you need to win. You just have to go do it. And so that's what, what it did. I signed for $100,000 less. I'll be honest with you. I, I signed for $125,000, but I had a huge bonus schedule that um, if I won a Supercross or an, I won any championship, it was a $100,000 bonus. It was $10,000 per, per race win during, you know, during the season. And then if each championship that I won, 
they would bump my salary 50 grand for the following year. So me being the arrogant puke that I am, I thought, well, I'll bump my salary every year grand because i'm gonna win every race, every race but when you're racing against guys like jeff ward and johnny omar david bailey you don't win every race 21 years old making 125 grand a year back in the mid eight mid to late 80s dude i mean how do you keep uh, how do you keep things under control when you're 21 years old you make first of all you're making these huge decisions and uh and and clearly made the correct ones that's outstanding but to hand a, a 21 year old uh, access to 125 grand back in that day. I mean, that had to be like a half a million dollars, man. How, how did you not just party yourself to death? It was, well, I was fortunate. So a couple of things, sometimes out of uncomfortable situations become blessings. And when, when it's bad, you know, it, you don't know it's good, but it is going to be. So anyhow, when I first started, my parents were, were managing my money and my dad was negotiating for me. And my dad was a real hard ass. I mean, just very black and white and the way it is. And my mom was just this sweet woman that grew up in Bismarck, North Dakota, that didn't uh, graduate high school. But so she's doing my dad's, she's the bookkeeper for my dad and all the different stuff. Now, all of a sudden, she's managing a hundred and some thousand dollars. This is more money than they've than either of them have ever seen. Well, it got uncomfortable and I had to make the break, which is the one of the, I think the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mom and dad, I don't want you in my business anymore because I would race and my dad would fill out, you know, my, my bonus things. And if I got second place, I'd call him from the airport because he didn't have cell phones back then. He'd start chewing my ass out. Do you know how much money you lost? And you do the math. You lost this from Bell. You lost this from Fox. You lost this from Alpine Star, blah, blah, down the list. I'm like, you know what? I want my parents back. So I, I made a break from them and I was, I was, uh, I was blessed to, to meet a guy named Dave Stevenson, who was a, a, an accountant for JT racing, the, the, the clothing line at the time, but he also helped Brock. And so I didn't think about money, money, the money, when I negotiated all the different stuff was just a number. I didn't attach myself to it. Like, Ooh, I got this money. I'm going to go buy a car. Or I'm going to go buy, I thought about it. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to do it. But I would come home, give Dave the money. Dave would give me a certain amount of money to, to piss away on records and go into fast food restaurants or whatever I wanted to do. So I never worried about money. And the plan when we first started was the whole goal was to make a million dollars cash, put it into bonds, because back then you could get bonds and they were like five or six years and they were like 13, 14, 17%. So you were like, Perfect. I could just live on the interest and go go my way. Well, the bond market took a crap. Um, everything changed, and the cost of living went through the moon. So I I did good when it came to earning money, but not to live. That's why I continue to work. Not that I'm broke, but I enjoy working, and I want to enjoy other things. We're going to take another quick break here. We have plenty more to go with Ricky Johnson, who has joined us from Southern California here on The Skinny. We'll be right back. This segment of The Skinny has been brought to you by General Tire. It's more than just a slogan. Anywhere is possible with General Tire. General Tire's Grabber X3 Mud Terrain Tire offers aggressive styling and is engineered for durability with innovative performance features that are ready to carry you through extreme mud, dirt, and rock-covered terrain. For extreme traction that's ready for anything and rugged styling to match, look no further than the Grabber X3. Make your anywhere possible by visiting GeneralTire.com today. 
Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top it Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This segment of The Skinny is brought to you by Rhino Classifieds. Tired of all those ads and random stuff that shows up when you're looking to buy or sell your car parts? Rhino Classifieds was created just for you. Welcome to a streamlined buying and selling app created by racers for racers and race fans. Modified cars, classic cars, race cars, that special big block you need. The trailer to move your baby around the country in. We got you at rhino.co. Welcome back to The Skinny. We have Ricky Johnson who has joined us here 
today. He's in Southern California, so has joined us remotely. Michael Young sitting alongside. So cool to have uh, to have one of my really close personal friends here on the show who has had so much success and absolutely zero ego. Uh, one of the things I love about him, though, because I think this applies actually to all angles of life, is RJ is a guy that will race you the way you race him. And I think that applies in life. Like, you treat people the way they treat you more times than not. And and I've always loved it. And you'll hear RJ on here. You'll hear he has a ton of personality. Sounds like the nicest guy in the world. But let me tell you something. If you decide you want to try him, he'll be the first one to stand up and smack you right across the face. Because when he gets ready to go, <laughs> it is time to go. So consequently, back to what he said a little earlier in the show, whenever he sent me that text after him and my son had, had tangled at Nashville, I was like, I literally looked at the phone. I'm like, oh, I'm about to get in a fight with Ricky Johnson. This is not going to go well. <laughs> but that, yet, was, that was the beauty of it. <laughs> you you phrased it, so it I didn't know I... if you were kidding or not. You phrased it perfectly. Oh, no. And I waited. I waited because we didn't talk after the race and, you know, all the different stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I think it's time. So I dropped the bomb on Ken. I'm like, what's the deal with your son taking me out? You know, then all of a sudden, like, I could almost feel his blood pressure rise. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, oh, really? You're going to go there? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, easy. Cool your boobs off, buddy. I said, I'm having fun with you. I said, I would have I would have spun me a lot earlier for one and i said in two i started it he just finished it and honestly he did it so smoothly i barely even felt it so he's a very sensitive ginger loving boy you you raised that ken style but but and all, and all joking aside i i you know when when we first started talking about robert and you were saying oh he's trying to do this racing and stuff you know that my first intention is uh, another dad telling me how great his his kid is and but and I'm gonna blow a little smoke up yours and Robert's ass. Is, is he is unbelievably talented? I mean, because he can drive anything. He's done the you know he's at Thermal. He was at Bondurant. He's done the different stuff. He's he's got great pipes. He's a good looking kid. He he talks well. But man, the kid is a driver, and that's the thing that impressed me because he just gets in there, smash not not smashes his way through. But you have to be a physical and an SST to get by everybody. There's gonna be touching, and and I was just one of the slower guys that started in the front and, and as he was going through. Um, but once again, it was my fault. I overset the brake and got two sideways and he finished, he finished spin forward. But the kid is a driver. He's going to go places. It just hope that, that it goes back to a little bit of the eighties mentality where, where owners go, that's the driver. That's the guy that I want racing my car, not who's coming with the most money, but um, kudos. You raised a great young man. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate the kind words, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I haven't found any of those owners yet, but we're hoping there's one out there. Hey, uh, I'm going to let Michael <laughs> jump in here with a question in just, just a second. Well, I got to know, know before you, you get going, because <laughs> the text that you sent to Ken flipped him out. Obviously, you got under his craw, and you're able to do that. In your friendship, in all those years, Ricky, has Ken ever bought dinner? I think, well, is is dinner considered Denny's, Denny's? at 4 no. o'clock in the morning? No. It was no still, be- we were still up from the night before. So, 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 <laughs> That's yes, the only time we, we went to dinner. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> it was great stuff. I will tell you, when he sent that text, I, I did the same thing. I, we read the text. I literally looked at it. I'm like, 
Oh, boy, here we go. And I show it to Robert, and Robert's like, are you serious? Does he really think I did that? I mean, so we paused for a while. We talked about it for a while, and we're like, I I don't know, man. I don't know if he's serious or if he's joking, because we had literally had a conversation about the incident before you ever sent the text, and I said, there's no way Ricky's upset about it. I said, that's exactly what Ricky would have done had the tables been turned. I mean, I've watched the guy race for 15 years, man, and in short course, you yeah. know, so I knew exactly what he would do. But then when I got that text, man, it just, he took it the whole <laughs> other direction. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it, man. Here we go. Because I know Ricky, like, he is not backing down. This, this could, a lot of potential to get ugly here. So it was pretty yeah. funny. Hey, man, uh, get off of this. I, I, I don't know if you can pick one out, but <clears throat> if you could pick out a most memorable race, would it be the win at the Coliseum whenever you crashed, fell back to near last place, came back, passed Wardy on the last lap, and got the win? Um, that was good, but it was, uh, it was a weird race. Like, I, I came from the back, and, and it was spectacular, and I passed Wardy and passed Guy Cooper right there at the end. Um, so I'm going to say that I have two most memorable moments. Um, the one is, is winning the, the championship in 1984 and crossing the finish line. Cause I had to win that race to, to win it the last moto the, of the year, uh, won that championship fought all year for that. And then, um, the Carlsbad in 1986, even though it wasn't really spectacular cause I had a huge lead and I was way out in front and stuff like that. But to be a child and go watch the Europeans and then vote for Brad Lackey and Mike Bell and, and Danny Laporte and, and all the different American guys to win and then have Marty Motes win, but they're able to come back and win that GP basically on my home track meant a lot to me. And then in 1992, the first year I was racing stadium trucks, uh, when I won at the Coliseum passing Rod Millen in the Toyota uh, was, it still puts uh, chills down my spine, but it, it's, there's little bits, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, you can't, I don't think, that you should define greatness by length or number of wins or all the different stuff. I think you should look in your life and go, when did I have that moment that I knew I was great? And, and, and it's not a outward, Oh, I'm great. I'm the best in the world or anything like that. But when you do something that's man, it's spot on. And, and Ken, you know, this feeling in announcing, like when you, when they, when they tell you, okay, we're going to commercial in 10 seconds and you go, blah, 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 blah boom, nail it. You know that you did your job and, and you said no one could have done that thing that I just did better than I did at that moment. So had I've been blessed to have some of those moments in Pro 4s, Pro 2s, um, stadium trucks, motocross, supercross, donations, you know, snow racing and stuff like that. But I've also had a bunch of places where I was going, man, what was I thinking? That was stupid. So that, that's the beauty of life. And um I think everybody needs to find that champion inside of themselves and go, you know what? I did this right. Whether you're a cook, whether you're a coach, whether you're a teacher, whatever you're doing, just try to be great. Ricky, you know what I think is neat? And when we were able to see inside your home and your man cave down there, the treasures that you saved throughout your life. And I'm to the point in my life where I'm starting to downsize my memories and my treasures. But on the wall, you have a bunch of helmets hanging. What significance do they hold in your life? Well, if you look back, you know, on the top is the one that my dad painted the one, or how can I do it up, up, up here? I can't do it on backwards. Anyways, the top one is, is the helmet that my dad painted. The one below that on the, on the left middle is Dave Thorpe, who was the 86 
world champ. I gave him such a hard time because it was such an ugly helmet. I, I joke at how much money he made from for wearing it. He gave it to me. The one below is from 1986 where I raced with uh, David Bailey. Um, and then next to that, I got from one of the guys in, in France. It's an Elaine Prost helmet, which I'm, I, I hold that dear, near and dear. On the bottom row is also Josh Brooks, last year's uh, British Superbike champion. We became recent friends. Uh, in the middle is my 86 Motocross the Nations helmet. And then the upper right is my son, Jake Johnson, when he was uh, the champion in lacrosse, his, his lacrosse helmet. And then another one is from, from Dodge when we, they had a celebrity race. I have one downstairs uh, from Jimmy Johnson, and I got a couple other memorable things. But one, the ones that I'm really proud of are the, are the flags that are behind me because those are from some of the special forces guys. They flew them for me when they were overseas uh, putting their life at stake. And I'm very proud of, of that. My, myself, Jeff Benrood, and uh, my son, Luke Johnson, we trained special ops guys. Uh, Jeff was himself a special ops guy, and that's how I met him. And uh, the fact that I can take a skill, Luke and I and Jeff, uh, Jeff grew up racing motocross, won the Baja 1000 and the Ironman class after he retired from the military. Um, if we can take those skills and save a life um, or help them catch the bad guy or get away from the bad guy, then my life, my life has purpose. So cool, man. Um, Hey, will you join us again on the show? There's so much more we could talk about. Uh, you're, you're such a good descriptive, uh, storyteller and, and there's so much more that we, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface of your career. So, uh, hopefully you'll find the time to come back on with us in the future. No, as I said, I, I'm I'm honored. And I feel blessed that you guys thought of me to, to to be on your show with the superstar lineup that you you've had on here. And um, as I said, I, I'm I'm honored absolutely. So it's a definitive yes. Hey, awesome. Ricky, and so you know, Ken has promised to buy you dinner if you come to town and actually appear live on the show. Awesome, and we'll 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 go to bed earlier than. The Denny's episode. <laughs> that, that will not be hard to do. <laughs> there was you know only a couple maybe, hours left in the day. <laughs> you know what? Maybe we should get Kelly Stavis and we'll get the, the Three Stooges back together like the old days back at CORE. You know? That's totally good with me. Would love to have her on. Uh, needless to say, she's become quite the superstar here as of late. <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> no better way to end the show than that one right there thanks for watching ladies and gentlemen we'll see you next time with the skinny thanks for being with us here on the skinny this episode has been brought to you by toyota rhino classifieds dream giveaway and general tire for the latest in sunglasses optical frames accessories and apparel be sure to check out fatheads.com that's fatheads with a z production facilities provided by fatheads eyewear studios all rights reserved the skinny with rico and ken is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts last season on the choosing sides f1 podcast we established unequivocally that f1 is the pinnacle of motorsports we did but honestly i was left with more questions than answers tony i'm tony cameron brown a tech culture and f1 commentator and i'm michael costa comedian from the daily show join us for season two of choosing sides f1 our f1 102 if you will and get all of the answers all of them listen to choosing sides f1 on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.